We'll be reading out Luke chapter 20, and then just a few verses, and then in order to get the context of this, I want to take us to Psalm 118, and we're going to read the entirety of that psalm. And so if you want to make a, put a finger in Psalm 118... We'll get in there very shortly. We're only going to be reading three verses of Luke 20. I'm really going back into our text from last week that I did not spend a lot of time on a portion of it, and so I wanted to do that this morning. Spend a lot of time on it, that is. Luke chapter 20, beginning reading in verse 17. I'm reading, as is our custom out of the New King James Version, God's Word says... Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Christ here is quoted out of Psalm 118, and we're going to read the entirety of that psalm this time. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. At that point, you guys should have all said it too. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees, they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altars, to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, 
for his mercy endures forever. Thank you. Well, this morning, my message is very simple. Um, and yet, it is one that we seem to struggle with. And we don't like to talk about a whole lot for various reasons, um, some of which are our society's problems and influences, some of which are just human nature. Uh, We come to a passage of Scripture that, as I said earlier, we did not really handle extensively last week. It was really at the very end of the passage we wanted to discuss. And so I want to take time to really examine it. I think it's a portion of Scripture that we misapply in many ways both in our lives, in our music, and in our teaching uh, within churches generally. Christ has referenced here the stone which the builders rejected. That it would become the chief cornerstone. And he's going to reference some of the activity of that stone, really the strength of it. And of course we relate this imagery of the stone to Jesus Christ, but we're going to be a little more specific than that this morning. We're going to look at the stone that the builders rejected uh, specifically toward one attribute of God, and that's a very dangerous thing to do, and I recognize that. It tends to become very unbalanced very quickly where we begin thinking that that attribute must be the most important attribute, um, and it might be for this message that doesn't make it the most important attribute all around. Uh, In fact, all the attributes of God are of equal quality and quantity within Him. They are equally submissive one to another. They are equally uh, enhancing of one another. Uh, And so... Anytime we take one aside, there's always a danger of taking it and running too far with disregard to the rest. And uh, I generally try to avoid doing that, but in a message of this nature, it almost necessitates it. Um, Because I'm reacting against a swing in one direction, um, to get us to the middle road requires sometimes a swing in the opposite direction. requires me to counter that weight of all that has moved us towards this view, this wrong view, unbiblical view of God, and unbiblical view of life and how God examines it, uh, requires us sometimes to go almost too far in the other direction. And, uh, and I acknowledge that. And I acknowledge that that's going to be the case this morning. But it is necessary to bring us to a balanced view requires us sometimes to go in that sort of unbalanced perspective. Before we get into this single attribute of God that we really want to work on that's represented in this picture of the stone that builders rejected, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us and the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We confess before you our weakness in this area that we prefer the things we believe over the things that you teach. Things we believe are convenient and comfortable for us. 
Things that you teach are uncomfortable and sometimes very unfamiliar to us. But Lord, we know that your truth alone can save. Your truth alone can heal. And to lead us to righteousness requires our submission to it. And so Lord, we pray you might shepherd us by your spirit this morning through your staff of the word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. We find this description of the stone, a very powerful one. But it's one that we have often mislaid. We usually think of a cornerstone as something really solid that I'm going to build my life around, or perhaps in the midst of a storm that I'm going to wrap my arms around and I'm going to hold on to, and it's going to be that which which will steady me in hard times. That that is kind of the rock of my salvation. It's really referring to this whole idea of a, a secure place, a safe place. And I'm not denying that that is the case, for it certainly is, but it is differently safe than what we think of. We really think of that as something that we can cling to and that we can then be secure just by the presence of that rock. And we focus on that aspect of it as the place of, of, uh, of mercy, the place of deliverance, the place of rescue or safety. Um, and the Bible portrays it very differently. It certainly provides safety, but provides safety in a whole different manner and way than we think of it. We usually think of that safe place as some place where I feel, and we emphasize that, our feelings, that we sense that we are um, uh, all snugly and warm. That all our needs will be taken care of and that the troubles of life that batter me around will somehow be, 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 be calmed and quieted or at least that I will be sheltered from it. We think of that as, a, as that fortress stone. But we notice, obviously, from the description here that the stone is a very different influence than that. We see Christ's usage of it, and we look at that, and we say, this is a very powerful thing, certainly, but we immediately are caught by what it does, that this is not a stone of protection, but a stone of judgment. This is a stone that crushes This is a stone that demolishes. This is a stone that is immovable. And Christ says that anyone, you fall on that stone, you're going to be broken. The stone won't break. The stone will not break. You fall on it all you want, you're going to be the one broken. It falls on you, (laughs) it's going to grind you to powder. It's going to pulverize you. This is the stone that Christ describes. And while we think of our imagery of this rock of refuge and of of deliverance, um, and and I'm going to still use those terms because those are biblical terms, but we use them wrongly. We use them as though it's someplace that we can just kind of tuck ourselves under and without any implications upon us. God will protect us in the no matter what zone or no matter what my life is like zone. But Christ describes it certainly as a place of protection, 
But what is it protecting us from? A place certainly of refuge from the storm, but what is the storm? And we have mislaid the idea of this protection and safety and deliverance over uh, with regard to our personal experiences rather than the realm that God really is concerned about, which is holiness. This is a presentation of the righteousness of Christ, of the righteousness of God, of His holiness. The stone. Why did the builders reject it? Because they didn't want this absolute standard in their life. They wanted to be able to to have a stone, or not a stone, a piece of clay, and a wet piece of clay that was malleable, that they could make it say what they wanted it to say, that they could manipulate it and twist it and form it into whatever shape or design they wanted. That's the kind of righteousness that the Pharisees were after. Something that they could get their hands on and could manipulate, that they could twist and turn and then end up that they could portray themselves to society as though they are obeying God when all, in fact, they're disobeying Him. They're violating the very spirit of the law. And Jesus Christ describes this that, you know, God's ways, God's righteousness, God's holiness is a rock. It is immovable. It is unmalleable. It can't be manipulated and twisted and turned. God's standards are absolute. They do not change. They are forever. We don't like that idea. We're uncomfortable with that idea. We're unfamiliar with that idea. In fact, our world says that we should be malleable. We learned that all it takes is you have to replace a governor, a few senators, and, and we can change laws. Our ideas of, of law are, are always malleable, always moving. God's idea of it is stationary. It does not move nor change. God's standard of righteousness is absolute. It is the rock that is immovable. And Christ describes that you come against this, you come against this and try to do your religious practices your way instead of my way, you will be broken. I won't break. God will not bend. He has no reason to bend. For He stands in absolute perfection and righteousness. The one who must bend and be broken, if you come up against that and want to not adhere to it, is you. You will be broken. You think you can stand up under the righteousness of God? You'll be crushed to powder. It won't crack around you. The righteousness of God, when it drops, and it will drop one day, trust me, it is dropping today. People just aren't calling it that. We call it something else. We call it uh, tragic mistakes, and we call it uh, disease, and we call it things like that, but we don't call it the judgments of God's anymore. We don't do that. Natural disaster things. We don't call those things judgments of God because that makes us sound like fanatics who think God's actually in charge. The The rock is dropping. The judgment, the righteousness of God, when it drops, nothing will stand. You can't stand against it. 
You can't assault it. It is the standard that does not move. And for the Christian, what it becomes our deliverance when we, instead of fighting against it, instead of not adhering to it, we comply to it. We completely recognize the righteousness of God that I am under that. It's hanging over my head about to pulverize me. It is something that if I jump on it, it will break me because I know that I do cannot compare. I cannot measure up to that righteous standard. Well, how does it shelter me then, Pastor? Because God says, I can bring you in. Turn with me back to Psalms. We want to look at Psalm 118, which we read earlier this morning. And you'll see again this combination of the concept of God's mercy and deliverance with the whole idea of His righteousness and judgment. We find the psalmist declaring at the very beginning, His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And we might wrongly think that the mercy is referring to the rock. The mercy is what God extends towards us that we might be adhered to the rock. That we might come into compliance with an unmovable standard. That's the work of God's mercy that's declared here that there's enemies about. And yes, I don't have to fear that there are that, and, and that um, I can destroy them even. The Lord will be my help. He's my strength and song. He's become my salvation in verse 14 of Psalm 118. The voice of rejoicing and salvation in the tents of the what? The righteous. The wonder of God's salvation is that He can make us righteous. We have a command, be holy as He is holy. Not a suggestion. And it's not as you define Him holy, but as He is holy, we are called upon to adhere ourselves, to conform ourselves to that perfect standard. Because we are incapable of really doing that, God comes along and the the expression of His mercy and His love and His grace is that He gives you the strength become righteous. To become that in your standing before God, that He can look at you and declare you righteous, but also in your walk, that we should be righteous. The chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people, elders of the people there that Jesus were talking to would have all been considered by society as very religious. And Jesus Christ just says, you're under judgment. You are the ones that have been rejecting the stone. The stone is a matter of, you reject my righteous standard. You have consistently battled against it, tried to undermine it, tried to break it down. Making God less than holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And in that condition, you are the ones going to be broken. You are the ones going to be pulverized. by, For you have rejected His righteousness, His holiness. Verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. Let's back up. Where did I leave off at? Verse 15. There we go. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. 
The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He talks about the valiant work of God. It's exalted. It's valiant. What does it do? It takes us who should be dying, but it gives us life, and we are therefore to declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely. Why? To demonstrate my unrighteousness, that I might conform myself to His righteousness, but not to death, but to life. You see, He's not going to let me die. I'm going to be humbled. I'm going to be affected, but not to death. He's chastened me that I might declare His works, that I might be among the righteous. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. And thus we are told that He will open the gates of righteousness that we might go through them. We will go through them by our faith in Jesus Christ, but it is the hand of the Lord upon us that enables us to be counted among the righteous. And thus it describes that the hand of the Lord is valiant twice. It describes the hand of the Lord as being exalted um, to ensure that we do not see death, but that we have life. But yet in that life we are chastened of Him, that we might enter into the tents, the gates, the place of righteousness. And that is where the stone lies. The cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. The one that has been rejected by all the builders. Is there in the place of righteousness. So it is our responsibility when we are confronted with the holiness of God is to praise Him. Recognize that conformity to that holiness is by definition our salvation. Is when we are made holy like He is holy. That is our justification. But that is not the end of salvation, but rather the beginning of salvation for it is followed then by our sanctification, another fancy word, which is that whole idea of becoming holy in life as we are in standing. And in that regard, yet again, the Lord's hand is there. His right hand. His forever enduring mercy is there. We've come to verse 21. I'll praise you for you have answered me and become my salvation. And now, that which men Even leaders of men, the builders, have rejected over and over and over again trying to devise their own ways, their own paths, their own courses, their own religions. They continually reject this fundamental truth of who God is, that He is holy, holy, holy. And therefore, there is no twisting or or chipping away at, at... His absolute standard. We must conform to it. All others reject that standard. And this is their judgment. This is that which destroys them, which will break them, which ultimately will pulverize them. 
is that they will be confronted with an absolute standard that in thousands and thousands of years has never moved, has not been marred, scratched, tainted, lessened in any way. It stands as powerful in eternity past as it will stand in eternity future. His holiness moves not. And as our chief cornerstone, the completion, the accomplishment of God's righteousness, the psalmist says in verse 23, this is from the Lord. It's described there as this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day is that? The day when the cornerstone becomes ours. The day when we stop rejecting the righteousness of God and walk through gates of righteousness by His name, by His power of His hand, and receive that which only God can give us, which is His own holiness. That is the day that is referred to when it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The day when Jesus Christ said, I will provide for you the holiness of God if you will simply by faith receive it instead of rejecting it over and over again. Instead of battling against my holiness, adhere yourself to it. And I will build it in you. I will bring it into your life. The same concept of this stone we also find used by Peter and by Paul uh, when they talk about the cornerstone and that building there, that this is the foundation, foundation of the Christian life, fundamentally, is a righteousness from God. It's not that that's exclusively all it is. It certainly is inclusive of His mercy and love and and all the rest of, of what is wrapped up in this precious and bountiful gift called salvation. But fundamentally, when it comes down to it, that which separates us from God is sin. That which brings us into His presence is righteousness. And because we are not incapable of righteousness of our own, God accomplished it for us. Establishing that foundation of righteousness in our lives which we are now called upon not to continue to reject in our lives, but to conform ourselves to. We are not conform ourselves any longer to this world, but to transform our minds, our thinking, by the Spirit's power that we are not going to think any longer like this world, but think like the world that we are citizens of, heaven. I'm going to give you a very simple illustration um, I find that one of the serious things that is lacking in our homes and in our parenting, uh, in our society, has been lacking for some time, is absolutes. There are none. I go into homes and I hear parents say no and it doesn't mean no. I hear parents say do this and it doesn't mean do this. How do I know it doesn't mean that? Because children don't obey it. I say, wait a minute, we don't obey God. Does that mean that, no, there's no judgment when they don't obey it. 
Disobedience has been around since the garden. But God said, there's death. There's judgment. And death fell upon all men. For all have sinned. Where's the judgment when the standard is broken at home? When there is none, guess what? There is no standard. Really. And then we wonder, why are our children disrespectful, disobedient? Why are they rebellious? Well, there's no absolute in your life, in their life. And I want to share with you this fundamental truth. Where there are no absolutes, there is no safety. There is no peace. There is no security. There is no sense of, of, uh, of, 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 of that safe, secure belongingness. For everything's random. And that's a frightening place to be. And our world says that's the way it should be. That we should frighten our children by having homes where there are no absolutes. There's no standards. I was raised in a home very different. And some people attribute that to my parents' military background. That in a military home there's yes sir, no sir, and and, and we had, oh yeah, that's the way I was raised. Absolutely. But I don't attribute it to my parents' military. I attribute it more to that generation that still believed in absolutes. That when mom or dad said jump, you said how high on the way up, right? Remember that old adage? You, without debate, without delay, with <laughs> all those without, oh boy, you had, or you, now, I was a rebellious kid. I, I'll tell you that right now. I, out of the five, I was probably the worst. And you can ask my brother over there. He'll, are you nodding? Yeah, he's nodding. I was one of the worst. We'll put it like that. That puts me up there in that echelon. Um, but you know what? There was an absolute standard. And my rebellion cost me. It cost me a lot as a young child. And some people say, oh, that's just a strong will and you can't, you know, you can't break a strong will. Oh, let me tell you, if that strong will isn't broken, it will will you to hell. That's the end result. For if you reject authority, you reject righteousness, you reject truth, that's the end, is judgment. And when we throw up our hands and say, oh, I can't handle this child, I can't, I can't have any absolutes, or the, or the society says you're not allowed to enforce those absolutes, you're not allowed to judge or bring judgment upon rebellion or disobedience, then we have just willed that generation to hell. Why do people think that they can go to church and just pick a church that's going to define God the way they are comfortable with God being defined? Because they don't believe that there's an absolute holy, holy, holy God. They believe that they need to find a church that teaches a God that they can live with. Instead of realizing that they must conform to God, they're going to find a God to conform to them. And this is death. It is rooted in our homes. It's been going on in our homes for at least a generation. Where we have concluded that there are no absolutes. Our children are in this frightened state and that frightened, that scaredness shows itself in a 
plethora of ways because there's no standard. There's nothing solid at home. It's just a bunch of wishy-washiness. And then you wonder why they have no directive for their life once they become adults. There's no absolute. It wasn't shown to them as a child. And you all have known enough of my life and my parenting and our home life. And you can, again, talk to some of these up here. Absolutes make life real, safe. Makes life real, peaceful. Even when it's rebelled against. Because they know this disobedience is going to always bring, when it is found out, this judgment. And that's safety. That's much more secure than not knowing if, well, what kind of mood is mom in? Or is dad drunk today or not? And is that the determining factor of what kind of treatment I get? If there's always this standard saying this is right. You violate this right in our home, this is what's going to happen to you. And it will happen every time that way. Is that easy to do as a parent? No. It's a lot of hard work. It's sometimes a great big pain in more than one place. (laughs) But it's the standard bearing quality of a godly parent. It says there are absolutes, son. There are absolutes, daughter. And you need to learn that when you violate those absolutes of God, His holiness, violating my holiness isn't a big deal. You're going to pay for that. Violating the holiness of God is a forever thing. And it will destroy your life here and will destroy your life forever. This is the stone. So when you think of this stone that the builders rejected, recognize those builders are often in churches today who are rejecting a holy, holy, holy God. They are repackaging God into this softer little little pseudo-God that that doesn't offend anybody so that we can all gather around and sing Kumbaya and have no clue that we are having hanging over us a stone that we are rejecting that is about to fall on us and grind us to powder. Salvation is when we come to God and ask for His mercy. We call on the Lord. And then rejoicing comes when we become righteous by the work of the right hand of the Lord being exalted in our life. That is when the stone makes us safe. There is safety in society and the laws are sure and enforced. I would challenge you to go out in the society where there are no laws or where no laws are enforced. Frightening, isn't it? And yet that's exactly the kind of home life we create for our children. 
and it's exactly the kind of life we're creating in our churches. There's no standard. What a frightening situation. Anyone can do what is right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to you? That was exactly the description of the times right before God judged the entire world with a flood. Because men were doing what was right in their own eyes. Why? Because they were rejecting the stone. They were rejecting God's righteousness, God's holiness. They thought they could just they could define what was right and wrong. Most frightening kind of life there is for a child to live is where there's no one telling them right and wrong, and it's whatever they think. It's a scary proposition. How frightening is it? The children come out of those homes and out of those schools, and they there's nothing wrong with killing there's, as long as it serves your purposes. There's there's no moral right and wrong as long as it serves my purposes. And we sit there and do this when we threw out absolutes at least a generation ago in our country. There's no standard. Our founding fathers recognized an absolute standard. That has been washed away long ago. And so we are called upon to recognize this stone. The chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Specifically the righteousness of Christ. That he who, be, who had no sin became sin for us. This is the stone, the cornerstone that establishes the foundation of who we are in Christ. We are then called upon to adhere ourselves to it. And should we not adhere ourselves? We are confronted with that judgment that Christ describes in Luke 20 as being broken and pulverized. I want you to come to verse 19 of Luke chapter 20 with me now. This group of priests and scribes and elders that we were introduced to at the beginning of the chapter who Christ has been engaging. And if you weren't here last week, I recommend you get the message from the podcast or something. They're going to respond to this directive. This is a This is a prophetic utterance out of the Psalms. Christ has now used it and applied it to their circumstances there. That they are being confronted with a holy, holy, holy God and the person of Jesus Christ who is about to culminate His work to bring the righteousness of God to men. Incredible. You reject it. You fall against it. You fall under it. You will perish. What is their response? Their response is anger and rebellion. They knew that he was talking about them or against them. They knew that the builders in that, he was referencing them as the builders in that passage that were rejecting the stone. Instead of repentance, instead of godly sorrow, we find them enraged because their pride had been hurt. 
He was speaking against them. You mean I can't do it my way? I can't do whatever I want? And, uh, and yeah, we love, and it's amazing how many people, of all the scriptures they know, the one thing they do know is you should not judge. Let me tell you something. God is a stone that will judge. And if I can warn you a little bit ahead of time, I'm going to do that. Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord, by the way, is the next verse in Psalm 118 that we didn't read. Blessed is the one that comes to you with that message that there's a stone. And that stone can either be your salvation or that stone can be your judgment. But it's going to be there. No doubt. It's absolute, unmalleable, unmovable. It does not retreat. It will not be affected by society or by your belief system. They didn't want to repent. They did not want to submit to that. Only one thing controlled their evil. They feared the people. That was it. You see, because once we throw out the standard of God's holiness, there's only one thing to control the sin of man, and that is his own fear. The only thing that controls many of the, much of the evil that our society wants to perpetrate is the fear of the government, the fear of the police, the fear of the family. Because fear is all that's left. Once you rule out and reject the standard of God as holy, 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 the judge of all the earth, all that is left beneath it is fear to control men. And if you think that applies only to people who aren't in police service, <laughs> you're wrong. Um, we have learned that time in jail isn't that constructive. People don't, aren't afraid of it. Um, so what do we do now? We, we use because that's people's God, and so we're going to take away some of their God. And, uh, and people are more afraid of fines than they are almost of jail time anymore. We've got to find something people are afraid of to control their sin. But the problem is we have a generation coming up who's learned to live with that fear. In fact, they thrive on it because it's all they've known. They have been raised in homes where there's no safety because there's no absolutes. And now the greatest thrill of their life is the thrill of fear because it's really the only feeling they know. And so they're going to jump from buildings. They're going to do ridiculous things, take their lives in their own hands. They're going to ride on car hoods instead of in the cars. They're going to do foolish and stupid things. Because fear is the only feeling they know. And so they exalt it. Well, how do you control someone who, who fear is the big thing? And, and the big thing is they go out. They love driving around committing crime to see if they can get away with it. They glory in it. Why? Because that fear of getting caught has become a narcotic to them. It's the controlling force still, but in the opposite direction. 
The only reason these men didn't sin against Christ at that moment was their fear of men, of people. Why do I believe God's judgment is so close to us that the stones crushing and pulverizing and breaking of people is about to occur? Because the fear is gone. Even that control of men, of the sin of men, is waning quickly in our day. And in those conditions, we find the description of the coming of the Son of Man. There is a safe place. That safety occurs because it is immovable. Because it cannot be manipulated by men. Because it never changes. Because God's mercy endures forever. Even as His righteousness is unmovable, though rejected by men, His mercy endures forever. Let the right hand of the Lord work in your life to bring you through the gates of of righteousness into the tent of the righteous. For there is real safety. To walk without regret, blameless, as God calls us in the world. My walk in the righteousness of Christ. That is the place, the foundation stone, that rock of salvation that we are to cling to. Cling to righteousness.